I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk to you about a message. Literally, I shared part of this with our young people. I shared kind of like part one of it, but really I'm sharing the, the whole thing with you guys. Um, not because they couldn't handle it, just because I wanted to share one part with them, but I wanted to share the really like tough part with you guys. Because the, uh, they get it. You know, they, they get it. I'm just kidding. The message is called, It's Not a Simple Thing to Follow. How many of you know that's true? In the world we live in today, to follow people is even harder because we have a list of criteria. Do I like them? Do they know what they're doing? Do they have a plan that I like? Do they line up with my ideology? Do they look the way I think a leader should look? There's a, there's a whole list of, and, and we might say that's not true, but yes, it is. It is under the surface, intrinsically, in our personal makeup. We all have it. And whether or not it should be there, I'll let you be the judge of that. Um, for me, when I first became a believer, my pastor was doing a series on David and Saul and Jonathan. And I'm not going to go into that story. If you want to read it, just go to the book of Samuel and read it. It's a powerful story. And he talked about how the authority of the king was absolute and how David didn't want to cross that authority, even though he was getting spears thrown at his head multiple times, you know. And... Um, Something was burned into my spirit at that time that it didn't really matter whether I liked the ideology or the person or their quirks that, you know, God places, God removes. And so I kind of just have operated off of that in my life. I try to keep it simple and I've watched God lift people up and I've watched God take people down. And you might say, well, oh, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh. there's more to it than that. Listen, I'm not going to debate this with you. I'm telling you that I have been up close and personal to people who have gotten full of themselves and decided to build their own kingdoms. And I have watched how God has cut the underpins of their kingdoms and watched it crumble right in front of my eyes. I've actually watched how he has warned me to step back. I've also watched how he has warned me to not become that. It's a little scary when you're just kind of doing your devotions and God says, don't become that. And then it's silent for a long time. You're like, oh, anything else you want to say? <laughs> It's the truth. As leaders, we live under this banner of a higher judgment. We do. And so we have to wrestle that through. And it's something as a 16, 17, and 18-year-old young person who is literally all over the place, as you all would, could imagine, emotionally up and down like a yo-yo. But that one part of my walk in faith with God did not move. 
I recognize that God places people in authority and he is the one that removes them. I recognize that God raises up, he takes down. It's God that judges. I just, I've recognized that all along. And when we become judge, jury, and executioner, what we don't realize is that we ourselves literally are pronouncing the same judgment upon ourselves. So you're going, what happened to him this week? Nothing. I'm just laying the foundation for what I want to talk about. So to be a follower of Christ, we have to understand who we're following. And we have to understand that other followers are not perfect. They're flawed. Right? Turn to your neighbor and say you're not perfect. Boy, that should have been three words. Some of you are giving a list. <laughs> That's not what you were supposed to do, all right? Uh, you were just supposed to say, hey, you're not perfect. Now, for some of you, that felt liberating. You're like, man, I'm so glad they were sitting here today. I've been dying to tell them they're not perfect, you know? But the truth is, none of us is perfect. And we all struggle with this issue of imperfection. But we also struggle with having our eyes focusing outward and not seeing what's going on with our own lives. And the danger there is we have a lopsided view when it comes to looking at other people, and that makes us an unworthy judge. And that's why he is the righteous judge. Because we are not able to be the righteous judge. Why? Because we have a bias. You have kids, you're not gonna, let's be real here. Oh, Johnny, you're so wonderful. I mean, come on. You know how it goes? You know, if you coach Little League and you got your kid, your kid might not be able to catch a ball or throw. They're still going to be the pitcher, the catcher, first baseman, shortstop, and second base. The kid comes home with two black eyes and bruises everywhere, and they can't catch. You know, that's the way it is. Now, my dad kind of had the reverse approach, and so when I coached my kids, I was like, listen, because I'm the coach, you better work harder than the other kids, because if you don't, and like you don't put in the work, and your attitude's not good, you're going to sit, just like everybody else. I got to be fair, so you're going to sit exactly the same amount as everybody And I used to write it in my book, how often my kids sat the same as other kids, because I didn't want any parents going, well, your kid never sits. Because it happened, and I could say, yes, they did. <laughs> and I wanted them to understand, no matter how good they were in a small little town, it's a small little town. And you need to learn what it feels like to sit so that when you see someone sitting, you can sympathize with them. 
because we're all going to be there at some point. It is not a simple thing to follow. It's just not. I have worked with some leaders that were so easy to follow. You wanted to follow. They were charismatic. They were fun. They were gifted. You wanted to sit and listen to them talk. My pastor, I would just, he had a chair beside his desk. Brown wooden, you know, all those old secretarial chairs. And I would sit in that chair and we would talk for hours. And what I didn't realize is I was getting a master's degree level education in that conversation for seven years. I just was, and I didn't know it. And there were other guys I could not wait to get out of the office because I felt like I was being talked down to like I was one years old. I wasn't being talked to, I was being talked at. And that's hard. But I still tried to learn. It was hard, but I tried to learn because they were placed in what? God's position of authority. Where am I going? It's not a simple thing to follow. The battle to want what we want. How many know we want what we want? Just no? Okay. The battle to want what we want versus the battle to follow what we know the Spirit of God is calling out to us for, which is the follow me, some will follow, some will cave to the flesh. I've seen people who have picked jobs, picked careers, picked relationships, because the person they were talking to was charismatic. And I can tell you, being someone who's dealt with personality profiling for years, that simply comes down to one simple thing, personality, giftings, and traits. There is one personality in particular that will always interview well, and 98% of the time, they will get the job. It's true. It's true. They never get turned down. You know why? Because they could literally talk their way in or out of any situation. It's just the way they are. They have a gift. And God gave it to them. It's their personality. Then there are people on the other end of the spectrum where words are not their gift. And if you put them in that situation... They, they could not talk their way out of a wide open box. And it's not their fault. It's just who they are. But they might be able to write a letter that is very well done. There are different gifts for different people or different strokes for different folks. So where does the battle begin when it comes to the follow? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, it says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, when we read this verse, very often we immediately go to the dirty places. And, you know, if you need to go there, go there, because maybe that's an issue you have. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. 
To gratify the desires of the flesh can mean a lot of things. It could mean power. It could mean position. It could mean a lot of things. Like I remember years ago, a guy walked into youth group. He was new. He was a young adult. He heard that I let young adults help out in youth. And he said, hey, I want to help out in youth. And I said, excellent. I had 18 helpers. And he said to me, yeah, I'd really love to help out. And I said, what would you like to do? And this was his answer. I'll preach and lead worship for you. I was kind of like, whoa. Now, how many of you think that's an odd answer? That's an odd answer. In all of my years of youth ministry, that's an odd answer. And I asked him, do you have preaching experience? I preached once. I said, not, not again, that's fine. I could teach you how to preach. I said, do you have experience leading worship? A little bit. But what it really boiled down to was the desire of his flesh was to be in front of a crowded room full of young people, but more specifically, teenage girls. How do I know? Because I had to remove him from the ministry six months later because he was pursuing them. You see, follow is hard, especially according to the Spirit. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, right? I mean, the flesh wants to do its own thing. The Spirit says, let's pray. The flesh says, let's sleep. The Spirit says, go to church. The flesh says, five more minutes in bed. Come on. The flesh says, you went to church last week. The Spirit says, that doesn't matter. You need to go again. The Spirit says, Continue to give financially to the church. And you know what? The flesh says, you don't know what they're doing with it. You know, I mean, these are the battles that go on and they're real. Those are the questions and the divide. I've had people come to me with questions between the flesh and the spirit that happened years before I ever got there. In every church I've been in. And I'd, I'd listen patiently for like an hour. And finally said, when did this happen? It's like 20 years ago. I'm like, has this, any of this happened since I've been here? No. How about we put this to bed then? Oh, okay. We could try that. I said, just try it. Let's just try a new thing called trust. And let's see what the Holy Spirit does with it. And I'm not being smart. If you're here today and that's where you are, I'm saying maybe it's time to turn the page if those are some of the issues you're dealing with. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, conversely, what is contrary to the flesh. Your Spirit wants absolutely nothing to do with anything your flesh wants to do with. 
It just doesn't. Yeah, your flesh says, hey, let's go down to the bar. You know? And your spirit's going, uh, no. Your spirit's going, no, come on, let's go, let's go down there and boogie. And your spirit's going, no, let's not go boogie. Let's get the Bible out. Now, again, I'm being facetious. But here's the truth. I've had, I've had this happen. I've had people come to me and say, it's wrong to dance in church. But they'll go to the Lions Club and dance. So they'll dance in the flesh, but they won't dance in the Spirit to the Lord. Now, you know in the Bible, they danced unto the Lord. We know King David danced, and when he was challenged, he said, you think this is undignified? I'll get even more undignified than this. So there's this constant battle back and forth, and really what it comes down to is this thing called, I don't want to do it. And listen, I'm with you. Like, I went into a church where they had flags going, people were dancing, and I was afraid just to walk down the aisle to go to the bathroom. I thought I was going to get ninja slapped. Like, I mean, and I started at my home church, and there was, there was like a guy who was on staff, and he later left, but like... They asked me to lead worship at young adults, pastoring eight. And I mean, like, you're in great shape. You could do this with your guitar. And they're playing guitar, and the guitar player is doing this, you know. And as you can see, like, my throat's going up and down right now, you know. And as you can tell, my heart rate's going up right now. And I'm at 10 jumps, okay. And for 40 minutes, I had to do this. When we led worship, I was going to die. Because that's what they did. That wasn't me at all. And I felt like I was selling out to myself. Not because it's not biblical. I just wasn't there yet. It didn't feel comfortable to me yet. And so partway through, I just said, Lord, like, is it wrong if I just stop partially because I'm going to pass out? You know? And the Lord said, just be you until it's time for you to take more steps in me. And I was like, okay, thank you. But it was hard. I felt that pressure, that peer pressure. There was peer pressure. But make no mistake, it's in the Bible. Dancing's in the Bible. Now, it's not like the do the twist, do the... It's not sensual. It's dancing unto the Lord. Amen? Okay. So I'm giving some educational things as we go here along the way and helping myself breathe. All right. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So the flesh and the spirit are always going to be battling with each other. That doesn't give us permission to do whatever we want. And as believers, even more so, we really need to rein in this philosophy that as long as I'm a believer, I can just do whatever I want. 
as long as I'm not hurting anybody. I hear that a lot. How do you know you're not hurting anyone? How do you know someone's not watching? You know, I use the, the, I need a drink. I've used the drinking analogy many times because it's always the one I get asked, always. And it, there's a bunch, okay? But just let me pick on this one for just 10 seconds. Somebody once came to me, they had 29 verses. They threw them all at me. It was like a blitzkrieg. They thought they, I'm like, you came at me with a bunch of scriptures because you want to win an argument. I said, you should be coming looking for the truth. And I said, can I just give you a picture? And they said, yes. I said, what would you feel if you walked into a local restaurant slash bar, because they're all like both now, and you saw me sitting at the bar and I had a beer in front of me. Oh, you can't do that. And I said, why? Well, you're the pastor. So, well, where does it say that? And then, they, and then I pushed it a little further and they said, well, we, well, you're the pastor and no one would know how many you had. I said, yeah, I know. I look like I would have about 30. Um, but here's the truth. If you're sitting there, I wouldn't know if you were just having one or 10. And so then, of course, the argument, well, I just have one at home. Okay, so then... At home, who's watching you at home? Your kids. And I'm just going to say it. Believe it. Don't believe it. And I, I'm not, I've said this in every church I've been in, so don't feel special. That will come back one day. It, I'm telling you it will. Now, it may not be an issue at all. And I pray it isn't, or it may be a big one. Some people will come to me and say, well, it was cultural, and in some cases, it is. People come off the boat from Italy, they have a glass of wine with dinner every night. I get that. I've talked to people from that background. I understand where they're coming from, but I also know some that come off the boat, and they totally stopped. So it's something you got to wrestle through as a personal decision for yourself, but the Bible is also clear about being extremely sober-minded. And at what point are we not sober-minded? At what point does that change? I love you. Please don't stone me. You don't have to agree. It's just food for thought. In the follow process, there is another picture I want to talk about. There are a few examples where Jesus speaks to this follow issue, and it goes a certain way, and then there's another situation where it goes horribly not good. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. 
To be a disciple, you have to deny ourselves, win the personal flesh battle, and take up your cross and follow Jesus. I mean, he was being very real. Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. That means say no to you. Now, that's hard when you're in the middle of the Apple store. And you're looking around. Or you're in your favorite clothing store. And everything's 90% off, yet it's still $200. Now, I'm not good at math. How do they do that? That makes no sense. You know, denying ourselves is a hard thing. To say no to me is hard. To look me in the eye in the mirror and say, no. Because five minutes later, I can look in the mirror and go, but you can. How many of you had that internal battle? You know what I'm talking about. You could talk yourself into anything. And he says, deny yourself if you want to be a disciple, but it's not just deny yourself. You got to deny yourself, then pick up the cross. You see, you, you do something over here, but then you do something over here. When you deny yourself, you take up your cross. So you're actually filling the void by picking up your mission. We all have a mission in the cross to do something for the kingdom of God. We have a mission, and we can't deny that. I mean, goodness gracious, turn on the TV, look around what's going on in the world. It is a complete train wreck right now. And we can put our heads down, and we can hide, but I would like to think right now, it has given you free reign to be a bigger witness than you've ever been in your life. Because people are looking for answers. Please say amen to that. Please continue to pray for the homeland for me, please. A lot of what you're hearing and seeing is just not accurate. Media lies. It's horrible. But God has a plan, and I'm believing Maybe you didn't know this. Canada's never experienced a revival. Did you know that? They have never experienced a revival coast to coast. Some people talk about the Toronto airport. They called it a revival. It was a blessing. I was there. I saw it. It was not a revival. It was largely for Christians. A revival touches non-believers. Canada has never had a revival. Do you know Canada at one time, when I was a kid, almost 80, I think it was 80 some odd percent, they listed this on the news the other night, went to church. Do you know now it's less than 3%? It's listed as an atheist nation. They need Jesus now. Now. 
All through this whole thing, I have not heard one peep about Bill C4 where the Bible is considered a myth. Not one thing. One of my friends is a pastor spoke out on social media yesterday. First pastor I've heard speak out. And I just jumped in there and said, man, God bless you. I was so proud of him. Because in that area, they've reached the point of civil disobedience. He has every right to speak out. When they say you can't preach the truth anymore, or they'll arrest you, doesn't get more real. Daily is key. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Sound familiar? This is taken from Luke now. And take up their cross and follow me. We can't just selectively follow. We have to follow daily. If you want to grow in your faith and in the will of God, I've had people say, I don't know the will of God for my life. To find the will of God for your life, you've got to do what God wants you to do today and then do what God wants you to do tomorrow and do it day by day and eventually you'll get into the big picture. But if you take weeks and months off at a time, you're going to end up going back to kindergarten. You'll start over again. We've got to remain vigilant by denying ourselves taking up their cross, their mission, and follow me. Now, Jesus left a clear path. We might say, well, not really. Yes, he did. It's in the book. Well, what's the path, pastor? Well, the first one is to hide the word of God in your heart so that you might not sin against him. Begin to bury the word in your heart. Then the next thing is, make sure you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Get water baptized. Not necessarily in that order. Or all at the same time. You can get water baptized filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. I've had people who say to me, I don't want to get water baptized. Can I say this to you? I don't care what you want. (laughs) And neither does God. He said, get it done. Because it's a public declaration of your faith. And if you can't do it in front of a bunch of people who love you, I mean, is there anyone here that doesn't love everyone in this room? I just want to see, if you don't love everyone, we want you to raise your hand so we can drag you out. (laughs) Right? So we love everybody here. Well, I I get uncomfortable. I, I mean, can I do it alone? No, that's not a public confession. Can I do it in my bathtub at home? No. I wouldn't fit in there with you, and that's very weird. (laughs) Right? We got to do it the way he lays it out. It's a public confession. So the roadmap begins with the initial steps of obedience. And then... We begin to pair you up with other believers who are more mature, which is the biblical pattern that happened in the New Testament. I mean, Paul had a a relationship where he absolutely adored Timothy. And he helped grow him in the faith. And he increased, 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 increased. 
And that's what has to happen. I mean, eventually, one day, long down the road, God's going to call me home. And I hope that the legacy that is left behind me is not buildings. It is about 400 Timothys. That's the legacy that I have been shooting for since I was a youth pastor. Is to invest in enough lives because we're supposed to reproduce ourselves and other people. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Notice the wording. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't imitate me all the time because I'm a little weird. Just as I imitate Christ. Thank you. Follow me example. Matthew 4.19. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now he's getting specific. There's a call in this whole follow. A new purpose. A purpose, in this case, which is for people. You're in this room today because God called somebody to fish for people. How many of you in this room would raise your hand and say, God sent somebody into your life? Let me see your hand. Uh-huh. How many of you would say they were tailor-made for your need and where you were? They were perfect for you. Yeah. I mean, I was an ignorant, obnoxious, mouthy, oof, kid. And my guy was a street hockey goalie who ran a ministry for guys who played street hockey. And he put up with my mouth. He put up with my trying to kill him with a slap shot. Every week I tried to hit him in the head. And I did many times, actually. And he just, over and over, we'd have devotions halfway through, and I would like, oh, I'd make jokes, I'd turn away. And he'd say, Dan, why do you got to do that? Because I don't want to do this. But you come every week. And he'd drive me home, and you know, he just wouldn't go away. <laughs> like, Christians just don't go away. They're like, they're like glue. They just won't go away. You want to win somebody? Just don't go away. If somebody says, get out of my life, don't go away. Show up the next day with that big pasty smile. And they'll go, didn't I tell you to go away? Yeah. I love you. The call of Matthew you guys know Matthew in Scripture. He's a tax collector. He had money. He had means. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. He was a man of means, power. His life was set. And Matthew instantly got up and followed him. Why? Because something in those words said, there's a better life, a better purpose than what you got. And here's the truth. Today, right now, there are people all around the world sitting at jobs, set for life, and they're empty. 
And if they heard the words from Jesus, follow me, they'd leave in a heartbeat. They would leave in a heartbeat. And who's going to show them the follow me heart? You. You. You're the only one that can. You're the only one that can do the job that maybe they hate, but you do it with joy in your heart. Now, like, let me say this. You can't walk in looking like you sucked on a lemon for 20 years and try to share Jesus with them. I'm sorry, but if that's the way you are, just keep your mouth shut. You got nothing to offer. But if you're somebody that you know you're an upbeat, you're, you're concerned about them, you, you ask about their family, you've got, you've got joy in your life, there will be ask God to give you a moment. Ask God to create a supernatural moment where you can say to them, listen, we've been talking for however many years and I just want you to know God cares about you and I pray for you. When I drive here, I pray for you. In the climate we're living in today, they will probably not only thank you, they'll probably break down and cry. People are more open to the gospel now than they have been in years. All right, so here's somebody who heard follow me and it didn't quite go so well. And I'll be closing with this. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he knows eternal life exists. And every person alive knows there's something. They try to dial it into whatever belief system they can make it fit into, but, you know. And trust me, there are false prophets on the rise all over the place right now. Can I caution some of you right now? Please listen to me. This concerns me greatly. Facebook. There is an incredible rise of false prophets beginning to climb on there right now. Be very careful. If they're not reputable, they don't belong to a reputable organization, stay away. I'm telling you, stay away. I heard one yesterday, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was dangerous what I heard. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. So it's interesting, and I pointed this out to the young people, that he gives, you know, like this list has been given to him, but immediately he responds, all these I have kept since I was a boy. He still knows after this list has been given that something is not right. He knows. I mean, Jesus gives him what you would think is a complete list or he wanted him to think it was a complete list. 
See, Jesus is drilling down to the heart of the matter. And he knows at the end of that statement that that's not all of it. He's not there. He has done, he hasn't, you know, broken the commandments. He hasn't committed adultery. He hasn't murdered. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't given false testimony. He's honored his father and mother. And still, he says, I've done this since I was a boy. In other words, what else? What else? What else? Something's not right. See, when we're not right with God, we know it. We know when something's off. And he knows something's off in the follow. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Wow. Now, I want to be very, very crystal clear here. There are, and I've heard, preachers bash the money thing here and go down all kinds of roads prosperity, having money, is not really the sin here. I mean, for him it is, but it doesn't mean that you, sitting here today, if you have money, you're not going to go to heaven. That's not what it means. It was his vice. It was his issue. Your issue might be something totally different. And don't think because his is money and yours isn't money that you, you, because yours isn't specifically named, it doesn't mean that you're not struggling with one. So think about that for just a moment as we continue, okay? You still lack one thing, he says. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So Jesus says, exchange temporary treasure for eternal treasure, then come and follow me. He knew that he couldn't leave the wealth he had for the wealth he could have with him. Now, I want to be also clear here that money and the church have always been a problem. Preachers don't like to talk about tithing because they're afraid they'll get decked or have 12 letters in their mailbox on Monday. I have no problem talking about it. None. If God doesn't have your wallet, then he doesn't have you. Period. And when you give to God, that money is God's, it's not yours. So stop checking on it after you give to God. Well, we need to hold you accountable. Oh, I don't have it. I don't know. I don't run out of here on Sunday with a wheelbarrow. <laughs> you know. I get where you're going, and yes, we, you know, Give you financials and all, you know, all that stuff. And I know there's skepticism in the modern world we live in. I get it. But here's the truth. Even if the church is totally dishonest, who ultimately judges? God. I've never yet seen somebody who gets funky with God's money get away with it. It's never happened. 
he deals with it harshly because it's his. When I heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, it wasn't because he couldn't get rid of it, because truthfully, I don't care how wealthy you are, you can get rid of it. Young people, if we met a really wealthy guy, could we help him get rid of it? Could we help him unload it? I mean, just on Xbox alone, we could help him get rid of it, right? We could upgrade to the point that we would be unbeatable in every game, right? Don't laugh, it's serious. I mean, it was a security blanket for him. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now again, he's not saying indefinitely here that being rich is the issue, but he is driving home the fact that money makes it very complicated. And it is a big mountain. And people who have money and I said this to the young people, why is money a problem? Because people stop relying on God. They rely on themselves. They rely on their own means. Now, I've known and had millionaires in churches that I've pastored. And I could tell you if I brought them in, you would not have a clue who they were at all. And, and I really believe they had it figured out. Because they were so benevolent, they would have given away whatever amount God told them to give away. It just didn't matter. They didn't live in big houses. They, they didn't, you know, flash around Rolexes. They, they just didn't live that life. One gentleman, so, one gentleman was a good friend of mine. And he always was worried about how I was doing. But if somebody in the church was struggling... I always remember he would come to me with an envelope, usually full of cash, and he'd say, get this to this family and don't tell them who it came from. And if they, usually it was like they needed a stove or whatever, he would say, tell them it's for a stove. And he gave it to me because he knew I wouldn't tell anybody. And I was so blown away that he just wouldn't hesitate. And then my second question was, how does he find this stuff out? <laughs> like, I didn't even know they needed a stove. And I'm like the pastor here. But I was so blessed by the fact that it just didn't matter. It, to him, it was just an ends to a means. And I was like, wow. Now, you might say, well, I'm sure he had savings. Oh, I'm sure he did too. I mean, he was wise. The Bible tells you to be wise. Those who heard this asked who can be saved. And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So again, here's the reply. It's still possible for a rich man to be saved. God can make it happen. But they got to get past the self-reliance on the cash. And so, but this rich young ruler could not do it. He went away sad because he held on to his own self-reliance and the fact that his wealth was his security. Now, let me ask the question today of this body. If the stock market completely bottomed out tomorrow, 
and we lost everything. What would the adjustment of your faith in your heart be? See, my, I was sharing with my kids about the stock market. They didn't learn about it in school, the crash. I said, people were jumping out of skyscrapers because they were millionaires five minutes before. And now they have paper that was just good for the fireplace. They lost all their value in minutes. Peter said to him, we have left all and had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This verse is so misunderstood. These men did not run out on their wives. Okay? But like, they did do missionary trips. And he's talking about the sacrifices they made. For the kingdom of God. And God will bless them and he will bless you and he will bless me. And if you're sitting here today and God's telling you, hey, I want you to go to this place or that place, regardless of your age, you cannot possibly, possibly outrun God's blessing. And that's something we don't talk about in church either because that word blessing got so misconstrued, it got tied to money, and it got tied to the prosperity gospel to the point that when people use the word blessing, they misunderstood it as, I better get a fat check in the bank. Blessing could be health, it could be the health of your kids, it could be just the incredible joy in your home, it could be the favor of God, it could be the growth of our church exponentially. Try that again. The growth of our church exponentially? Listen, I didn't come here not believing that God could grow our church exponentially. I do. But that's going to happen as we act faithfully. Faithfully. By follow. And follow right now. How many have full-time jobs? Can I see your hands? Okay, so that literally for you means, follow means what God asks you to do between the dots in the day that you work. It might just be a few minutes. You may just have a window of time, a few minutes, God might create an opportunity. That's awesome. That's huge. And it might change somebody's life. Pastor Nate, you can come back. The follow portion has a reward attached. We cannot outgive God in any way. See, the battle between the flesh and what it wants and what our spirit knows we need and want are constantly at odds. For some that we read about, the disciples heard the words, follow me, and they did. The rich young ruler heard and was conflicted, and the flesh won the battle. 
We cannot be conflicted in the hour that we are in. We must be willing to follow 100%. I believe we are living in the last days. Now, the how long that'll be, I don't know. Could be another 10 years, but I still believe it's the last days. And how we live our lives is going to determine how many people get swept up in the follow behind us. And we have to live as servants of the Most High. Servants. One of the only things that I will say about you know, my own current situation is that the hardest thing for me the last five years is I like to serve with my hands. And I haven't been able to do that the way I'd like to. And that's been very frustrating for me. So I've had to find other ways to serve. And so I've tried to be an encourager. I've tried to be a champion of believing in other people. And I've started getting calls from other pastors. Just got a call last week from one in Canada. It's hard up there right now. And I just told him, you can do this. If you've got one person you're talking to right now, and you can say to them, you can do this. Don't quit. I got your back. I'm praying for you. I'll check in on you again next week. Man, I got to tell you something. That is such a difference maker. Such a difference maker. Can you say amen? amen? I mean, seriously, if God's putting somebody on your mind, that's not the devil. That's God. Just pick up the phone and say, listen, I want you to know you can make it and you've been on my mind and I'm praying for you. You are a difference maker. So I just want to know in closing today, how many would say, you know what? I want to follow closer or I want to encourage other people to follow. Can I just see your hand? I want to pray for you in closing. Fair enough. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today that you gave us the opportunity to follow. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would help us to follow uh, with excellence, that you would help us to follow in a way that others would want to follow you in us. And that we would be able to be an encourager of those who could be champions for you. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would be with us. That, Lord, you would speak to us about those that we could help lift up and encourage. Be with us this week. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive when you want us to act. We thank you for our time together today. We thank you for an incredible worship time and altar time and just time in your word and a couple of laughs together. Father, those things are so important in the world and the time that we're living in now. Be with us as we go. 
Bless us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go. Have a fantastic week.